We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You may have noticed there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. So that can you see your coworkers cracking open at your 9 a.m. meeting? It isn't beer. It's liquid death. So why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Drinking water from a freezing cold can is actually way more refreshing than a bottle. Trust me. Plus, it is way better for the environment and the economy. They're still, they're sparkling, mango chainsaw, buried alive, and my personal favorite, severed lime. And they are now armed with three grams of agave nectar for even more brutal flavor. So I'm going to enjoy this can of lime, and you can go get Liquid Death at your local Target, Walmart, or 7-Eleven. Or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Packaday Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Packaday Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. 
We are a day late to our usual conversation and discussion with Mike Wall, but I am so glad to be having it nonetheless. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at MikeWall68. Mike, I am officially in need of some Packers therapy. I needed this conversation to take place. Uh, I just want to talk some football with you and uh, enjoy the Packers whatever in whatever context that will be. How the heck are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, it's a crazy season, though. You look at it overall. Like, you know, they they had a stat out about how scoring's down this year, and all of the all of the rules that they've changed and favoritism they've given the offense, and it's turning out that execution, details, and coaching and preparation just aren't what they should be. And it's like for me, it's kind of like for old heads, it's kind of funny, right? Because we've all kind of been saying the product's not as good. The players aren't playing at the same level. Like they might be better athletes, but they're not better players. And you're kind of seeing it this year a little bit across the entire NFL. You really are. And I'm very curious to see what's going to happen because of that, because I guarantee you the NFL and the powers that be here, scoring is down, scoring is down, lowest scoring season since what, 2010 or something like that. Um, And they're not going to like that. And my fear is and we uh, this isn't necessarily one of our talking points for today, but we'll talk about it anyway. My fear is not that they're going to allow teams to practice more and have more time to prepare and have you know it's going to be all right. What what other handcuffs can we put on the defense to make it so that offenses can be better and we're still, we'll get a worse brand of football rather than a better brand of football. That's certainly what it looks like this year. And I know they say that roughing the passer penalties are down, um, but the egregious mistakes that have been made, even there was a game, even the game last night, like the, the one they gave Rogers 90, I forgot number 92's name, but the one he got on Rogers or not on Rogers on Brady late in the game last, last night, you just, you watch that as a football aficionado and go, really? Yeah. That's what we're calling now. I mean, bang, bang hit. And Oh, well, he kept his arms wrapped. Yeah. Cause that's his job. Like that's what we're taught. You're taught to wrap up and take guys to the ground. And if it's a bang, bang play, you really don't have time to like, I don't know if people appreciate how difficult it is to tackle another human to the ground. And in the time it takes to do that, like wrap up, clinch, put your arm, you know, put your shoulder, like do it properly with good technique. So nobody gets hurt. And then by the way, unravel your arm. So you don't fall on like, that's actually really hard to do. It's not, this isn't one of those deals where um, they're asking you to do something that's, that's kind of frivolous and, 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 and simple, but this is a, this is a skill that has to be learned every every week. And, you know, quite frankly, we'll probably talk about it on the show today. Like, I can tell you firsthand that the teams that don't focus on the basics and the fundamentals of tackling and blocking aren't very good at them. And aren't very good football teams right now, uh, to say the least. Um, but just in, in regards to that, too, like, I, I don't remember the player. I don't remember the play. It was probably a few seasons ago. But there have legitimately been plays where the defender had the quarterback, like, in his grasp. And kind of let go being like, I'm not taking him to the ground. I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. And the quarterback escapes. And like the defender was expecting the play to be like blown dead. Right. And then it's not. And the quarterback gets away and throws the ball down the field and makes a play on it. It's like, it's just, it's such a slippery slope with that stuff. Can you imagine what Dante Culpepper would do with this league right now? Like Dante Culpepper is 275 pounds, man. Like I remember our defensive ends, not our linebackers, our defense trying to arm tackle him. And he was like, he would shrug him off. I mean, can you imagine what and Josh Allen's a stud and he's a great athlete and all this stuff, but Dante Culpepper's Josh Allen plus 20. Like he's got 20 pounds of lower leg mass, you yeah. know? Like it's not happening, man. Prime, it would not be happening with him. 
prime Cam Newton, uh, prime Ben Roethlisberger, like all those guys would be, uh, it would be a totally different story, but I let, I want to open the floor to you. Obviously I had a chance uh, to listen to your podcast this week, but I will let you take this in any direction that you want to go in your thoughts on Packers commanders, your frustrations, maybe anything that was a pleasant surprise. I don't care what direction you want to go in. I will open the floor to you. All right. Well, the, the most pleasant of surprises was that Zach Tom, I thought, played very admirably considering every, you know, the, the, the circumstances. Yep. Coming in on his first game as a pro, playing against a vaunted defensive line in particular in the Washington Commanders in a bad situation. Uh, I've been in a situation where you get called up like two hours before. I remember Earl Dotson had one of his migraines. I was starting mm-hmm. at left guard, and they're like, so at least I was starting, right? Yep. And then they're like, oh, by the way, you're playing right tackle against the Denver Broncos today in, in, in mile high. And I, that was like really tough. I can't imagine your rookie year going through that and not even knowing if you're going to suit up probably and then you're the starting guy. So my hat's off to him. I don't know if we're going to have any more positive things to say about that game as, as far as, as what the Packers accomplished. Um, I lo- I'll say this. We want more enthusiasm in our defense like we saw in the first quarter. We want more physical play that we saw in the first quarter from our defense form into the football, um, winning on the you know winning on their side of the line of scrimmage, guy, cornerbacks, DBs, you know mm-hmm. safeties, guys coming up and making plays. Um, I, I think we like, generally speaking, we're integrating more D, uh, DB pressures, more stunts. You know, using Quay Walker's skill set, what he you know, like focusing on, on what he can do and not what he can't do right now. Agreed. You know, and let him grow into the position. We talked about that on our show a little bit. You know, and then offensively, man, it it is. Listen, I'll say this. At some point, you have to understand, as as a football player, I think you intuitively know this, but you don't want to admit it. I think coaches don't want to admit it, and I think fans maybe just don't think about it. If there are execution problems, and I'm talking mental errors, pre-snap, post-snap side adjustments, bad miscommunication from the offensive line, miscommunication between the quarterback and the receiver, um, and continual technical issues. That is on everybody. That is not on the players. That is largely because what are the, like, and I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, if it is not the responsibility of the coach to make sure that the players that you are putting in the game understand exactly what they're supposed to be doing with given the amount of plays that they have, how they're supposed to be doing it, what their adjustments should be, and how technically they're supposed to go through that process. If that is not the responsibility of the coaching staff, then tell me what is. And so I, we said it on our show, I've said it on some other shows this week, and I'm not looking to, you know, pick fights with with the coaching staff i'm just telling you i was a skill development guy in the national football league is when i when i was on the coaching side and if the the teams that the teams that i have seen and as a player and as a coach that do not perform kind of the technical components of the sport very well it is because they are not forced to in practice it is because it's it is not a priority in the with the coaching staff And so I don't know that that's the case with the Green Bay Packers, but I do know that's the case with literally every other team I've ever been around in my entire life. I couldn't agree with you more. And at some point, 
like it's like early in the season, first couple games, game against Minnesota, if things aren't, you know, exactly the way that they're supposed to be, maybe a little bit of a red flag, but you're willing to maybe turn a little bit more of a blind eye to it and say like, all right, let's see how things get improved through the course of the season. When you're seeing the plethora of mental mistakes and errors and lack of execution and technique issues. Devontae Wyatt is still playing incredibly high along the defensive line. He's like making plays and like hustling and working his butt off uh, to get to plays. But like, if he just played with solid technique, like he'd be a freak. Like these things like are consistently happening over and over. And you just want to see through seven weeks, the, the corrections and the improvements and when you're not seeing it, like you're saying, I don't know who else to hold accountable for that. Because if the coaches aren't holding the players accountable and saying that this has to improve or else, like it's, of course, it's going to continue to happen. You're basically enabling them and allowing it to happen. And how is anything going to improve if that's the case? So I don't know where you go from here. I don't know what the, I don't think there's an easy fix or solution, but uh, I think they desperately could use a bye week, but that, that's not coming until what week fourteen. Yeah. Man, it is just—it's really depressing. The first note when I rewatched the game that I posted out on Twitter is I was astounded by the amount of individual mistakes and mental errors in this game, and it's been the same kind of story seven weeks in now. Yeah, it, I mean, well said, Andy. I think that's really the, all there is to it. There, we're not fixing the. I. The, the hard thing about the Green Bay Packers is we've we've seen them have success. You certainly know that there's the skill set available. Or they have the tool set to have success in this league against the competition they're playing against, particularly in the last three weeks. And when you don't find that success, the only thing you can point to is lack of execution, right? And, um, and, and when you start peeling back the layers on why, it goes back to a lot of the conversations that we've had for the past couple of months, the past couple of years, maybe in, in some cases, as far as, what are the priorities in the building as far as developing talent? Um, is it are we developing the the the, the scheme ability of, of players to run what we draw on paper, or is it are we developing these these players in totality so they can make the necessary adjustments on the fly, so they use the proper technique, so they're comfortable automating their techniques, so they can make make the most decisions possible? Like like Devontae White's actually a really good study because. It's fair to say that if Devontae White's been doing it wrong for four years at Alabama or at Georgia, excuse me, then, you know, fixing all of his stuff in six weeks is probably, it might not be, but if you're not seeing any incremental improvement in, in that area and he is working hard, then you go, okay, if the guy's working hard, then he probably wants to be good. Yeah. Like you can just kind of go down the ladder, right? And if he's not doing it, but if, he's, if the most obvious thing is he's playing too high and they haven't they don't have a program in place to help him play with lower pad level and better leverage and like, you know, better hip hinge and all that kind of stuff. If they don't have that program in place, it's because they either don't know how or they don't have, or they don't feel like it's a priority. And again, I'll just go back being a guy that taught blocking and tackling specifically in the national football league for years with teams, the guys that aren't very good at it, the coaching staff doesn't prioritize it. It's really that simple because they want to put it in their scheme and they think that's the most important thing. And that's what kind of is, is tough right now. Not to mention all the mental errors and everything, but it goes, I think it's a larger conversation again about how do you prioritize developing everything? Is it, is it, we're going to make these guys the best of the basics and we're going to run something that works for them this year? Or is it, we have a scheme in place. We're going to fit these players into what our scheme is. And I think my concern, and as you know, Mike, I I really like Matt Lafleur. I I have a lot of you know. I'm very hopeful for what he can do with this team moving forward. But we saw last year that the biggest issue with the team 
over and over and over again with special teams. And it was very clear to everyone that there needed to be a massive turnaround and changes and not just in players and personnel, but in how they performed and the techniques and all of it. Right. And nothing ever happened and they lose a playoff game because of it. It never improved throughout the course of the season. And then in the off season, it was like, okay, uh, we're going to bring in, you know, new special teams coordinator, new special teams, assistant coach, new special teams, quality control coach. We're going to bring in Rudy Ford, Keyshawn Nixon, Dallin Levitt. That, that's all good. I like the direction that you take, but why, why did it take that long to implement? I, I get that you can't like hire Rich Passaccia in season. I get that you can't add Dallin Levitt, Rudy Ford, you know, those guys necessarily in season, but like at, at some point you've got to improve in the organization and make that turnaround and make it happen so that it's not reactive. And it's not like after the season when you're trying to, you know, sort of redo everything. And my concern is that we're now seven weeks in and seeing some of these same issues along the offensive line with tackling on the defense, with run fits, with miscommunications in the defensive backfield. Like if this is going to be another scenario where you go 17 weeks plus, you know, hopefully uh, in, in trying to fix those issues. And then in the off season, you're like, all right, we're going to change out some coaches and get some new guys. And like, that's too late. Like they, they've got to figure out solutions right now and try to get this thing back on track. And that's where I'm concerned because we didn't see it last year with special teams. And this is why we keep having the conversation, unfortunately, right? Like it's, it's where does the buck stop and who does it stop with? You know, I think that's part of the conversation. And then like, why are we so slow to react? And usually the answer is because you have Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers kind of fixes a lot of problems. And especially when we had Devante, he fixes a lot of problems. We talked about it on this show last week. And again, I have the utmost respect for coaches in the national football league and what they have to go through and, and the, this kind of stuff that they have to deal with from, from people like us. But at the same time, that is a very coveted job. That is a job that has, holds a high responsibility and you get paid well for it. And the question does have to be asked, like, if you continue to have the same issues, if you don't see growth during the season, like, like Andy, if when I was playing, I tried to get 3% stronger every year. Not everybody tries to do that, but that's how I think about things, right? Like I, I, this, this really, this job isn't that hard except for Sundays and, and you know, maybe, maybe one Wednesday a week, especially now. So I can get stronger. Like I can improve myself during the week. I, my, my technique can go up during the week. You can improve as a human while you're playing. And a lot of teams, the mindset is we're never going to feel as good as we did on the first day. And that goes kind of for everything across the board. Like we're never going to be as innovative as we were on day one. We're never going to be able to make, we're not going to be as nimble and agile as we were on day one. And when you get into that, like, that fixed mindset, lack of a better term right now, but kind of the Carol Dweck growth mindset thing. Like if you don't have that and you're not willing to be fluid and agile in this situation, in this environment and like rattle the cage, like if you got a guy who's dropping this many punts, guess what? He's not your guy. It's real simple. And if, if, if it takes somebody to, you know, get fired for that to happen, it's like Andy Green Bay Packers have never had this before, but, but there's a lot of quarterbacks in the league, like Matt Ryan, like, Tannehill was for a minute. Um, America's Mariota. You 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 call them. You know, you grade them by how many coaching staffs they've gotten fired. Okay, and what what happens is when you have a top level quarterback that trickles down to the punt returner and the special teams coordinator, 
right? Or it, it, it goes, to, it manifests in different places, but the problem is still the same. We have to be able to disassociate whatever relationship, whatever you know, non-objective measure you're using and say, look, man, this isn't working. Like you drop, you drop one punt. Okay. My bad. Right. You drop two, you're at the bus stop. And I, I was, sh- I was beyond shocked in the game, in the game and tweeted so immediately when uh, after Amari muffed the, the third punt, then uh, of course the first one in that game, but it's third on the season in game seven. Mm-hmm. And then at the, like after that, who's back to return again. And it was Amari Rogers. And then this week, Rich Passaccia asked about Amari Rogers and will he be the returner? And it sounds like at least he's very much in the conversation. If not, he's going to be the guy to Rich Passaccia's defense. I am going to put a little bit more blame on the front office than I'm going to put on Rich Passaccia for this one, simply because I don't know that there's a great option period on the roster. The guys that they have been, that had done it all training camp, Randall Cobb out with an injury right now, clearly not the guy that you probably still want returning punts at this stage of the game, even if he's hundred percent healthy, Romeo Dobbs, who I think dropped everything that touched his hands this past game. Do you really want him to be the guy that is back returning punts? That is cause for concern. I know some people thought maybe Samari Toure could do it. I'm not necessarily against that, but all of a sudden you've got a new guy, rookie who hasn't done it before back there in a game that's extremely close. All of that, I'm like, I will give some level, I guess, of accident forgiveness for, but like in the week when you've got a third or what, 16 man practice squad that you can add guys to that you've got a 53 man roster to not have somebody at this point, like Amari Rogers has gone out of his way to tell you who he is as a returner and probably as a receiver as well, but certainly as a returner, you've already Mm -hmm. axed him as kick returner. He's down to one job. He's literally down to one job and he's muffed it or fumbled it three times in seven games. And maybe that would even be forgivable if he was the most dynamic returner, if he had like Devin Hester-esque return skills, but he's the most pedestrian punt returner in like, like the league right now. So it it just makes no sense at all. It's another level of frustration. It it makes you wonder who's calling the shots at every, at every level. Right. And, and probably uh, again, a larger discussion, but you know, oftentimes I can tell you from experience when that is happening, it's happening because Rich Versace maybe doesn't have final say there. Yeah, which would be concerning to say the least. You mentioned the accountability. You mentioned players who are making mental mistakes. Um, maybe it's time to, you know, make the change, whether it's Amari Rogers, whether it's other players. That sounds eerily similar to what maybe a certain quarterback said this week that got, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, hot button topics and articles and everything else uh, through the course of this crazy week that I think everything in Packerland was imploding and cannibalizing itself. I just want to ask, what was your overall take on Rogers' comments this week and his, you know, leadership and his overall play this season so far? Loaded question, no pressure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll try. I'll break it down as much as I can there. So I don't have a problem with what he said. I don't know that Aman and I talked about this yesterday. In back in our day, we had conversations face to face. I went through a similar thing in the offensive line room in, with the Carolina Panthers, and I you, you go and you have in, you have conversations with the individual because that's the kind of respect you have for him. I don't know if this – Aaron Rodgers is literally a different generation than the people he's talking about. Right? Yep. He's 10 years plus. So he's a different generation of these people. So having those conversations is not something they're comfortable with. And maybe maybe it's just that's not available to them right now, although I think anything is available to Aaron. But I, I said this yesterday, um, 
and and I I believe it. Uh, I just keep going back to it. Is you look at the timeline of events here. Aaron Rodgers says we're making too many mistakes uh, early in the in training camp. Guys aren't playing where they should, the way they should. We get into the, we get into the season. He's clearly frustrated. He then says we need to simplify the offense. Everybody thinks that debates on what that means. Um, I think to me it was pretty obvious what it meant. Uh, you know, we we need to get guys good enough at the small amount of concepts that we're running so they can run it like the, you know it's the back of their hand. And then we have we go out and have two more games, and now he's touting out there's twenty percent mental errors on or mental errors in twenty percent of the plays. And you know, for me, it's like, who do you really think Aaron Rodgers is talking to right now? You know, for me, it's so clear to me that he's. I'm sure he's talking about certain players, but he's probably to me, he's got to be talking to the person in charge of deciding who, how simple the offense is, who's teaching it, who's who's calling the plays, who's deciding what players are in or, in or out of the game. Like he's talking and he's, and he put himself on the same level as the coaching staff and, and Goody and all those guys. Like he literally said that, you know, I'm going to hold people accountable. And he started ripping off all these other coaches, Steno, you know, they're, all these guys are going to hold people accountable. That's who he's, he's put himself on that level. So he's, so Aaron is saying, look, I might not have the cachet and the power to literally make these changes, but I'm telling you, I need help. This is what I need. Help me. And I, I just, that part of it is, was always going to be an issue bringing in a guy who's basically Aaron's age, who, you know, they're, pro- you know, they're, they're probably friend, very friendly. The relationship's different certainly mm-hmm. than would be with a Mike McCarthy or a Mike Sherman or a Mike Holmgren, you know, those, those type of coaches. Um, and that was always going to be one of the over the long term an issue. Like, can Matt Lafleur take control of this situation away from Aaron Rodgers, or can he can he acquiesce to this star quarterback and make the tough decisions under you know because he never really has to he as a as a as a head coach and as a coaching staff these guys have never really had to work as hard as they're working right now trying to figure out how to get get by without Devontae Adams, and and the question for me is like. Very simply, who who in that building is going to make the tough decisions right now in order to play up to the level of a Giants, a Commanders, a Jets, a Seahawks, all the Jaguars, all of which who have better offenses than we do at the moment? I'm not sure about you guys, but it still catches me off guard when I walk down the water aisle at the grocery store and see these new tall boys that look like beer chilling out in the middle of the bottled water section. Of course, it's not actually beer. It's Liquid Death, a new mountain spring water from the Alps that's available in still, sparkling, and three unique flavors. But why is it called Liquid Death, you may ask? Well, it's because Liquid Death donates 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Even better is that the use of their aluminum Tallboy cans is also helpful, as aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Friends, bottled water has always been boring to me, but there's absolutely nothing boring about Liquid Death. I love the crisp, refreshing pop of the can when I open it, and the water simply tastes better in a can than it does out of a bottle. Add in their three unique flavors. Personally, I love the lime, and the overall experience is infinitely better than any other water product. Plus, it just looks so much cooler holding a tall boy labeled Liquid Death that looks like you're holding a crisp, refreshing beer. So do me a favor and go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee. Or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So let me ask you this. Let's just say that Rogers is saying... We need to simplify stuff. We need to do, you know, less motion. We need to, you know, we need to play Lazard and Watkins and Cobb and the veteran wide receivers, Robert Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis, Jones, Dylan, you know, we need to, you know, fix up the offensive line, which I think is the case no matter what happens moving forward. But he says that and he's like, and basically says like, these are the plays I want to run. I want to, I want to kind of take control of the offense. Matt LaFleur, let's just say on the other hand is saying like, if we need to have success, we need to use motion. We need to make it so that while maybe things on the beginning of the play are more complex, that we're giving you easy reads, you know, we're, we're making the defense think a little bit more. Like, let's just say that there is a difference of opinion on how to run the offense. Mm-hmm. If you're the head coach and putting your head coach hat on again, are you more apt to say, Rogers, you need to get on my page and we need to do this thing this way because this is the way that we can win? Or are you more apt at this point to say, you know what? this hasn't been working 12 has an idea of what he wants to do with the offense, what players he wants out there. He wants more autonomy. Let's give it to him and see what happens. I I don't know the right answer, but I'm curious what direction you would go in. So there's, there's two things. The the first thing is you have to ask yourself as a four-time MVP as arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Do you think Aaron Rodgers is incapable of running things the way that you want it? The answer is no. Okay. So then why is he, why would he be making those statements? Like he's like the thing that is so like the thing that is so frustrating about your question um, or the, the underlying problem behind your question is that Aaron Rodgers is the, is if not the best, one of the top two or three best players in the entire world and arguably one of the top five best quarterbacks that has ever walked the face of this earth. And you're going to sit here and make a decision that Aaron Rodgers is saying, our guys, the guys that you're putting in the the game are not capable of picking up the information that you are putting down because 
they're not learning it because your coaching staff isn't doing a good enough job because they're not studying enough, whatever it is, they're not capable of picking it up and running it at a high level. If Aaron Rodgers is telling you that he's not telling it to you because he's worried about his quality of play. He's telling it to you because you won't win any games. And what is frustrating is head coaches, offensive coordinators get jobs for running their schemes. Well, with certain players, blah, 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 blah. This is how guys get jobs. Right. I know, like I know Sean McVay. I know Kyle Shanahan. I run this offense, put me in coach. I'm ready to play. This is, this is how people get jobs in the national football league now. And the idea that a Matt LaFleur, um, who is the head coach of the, uh, of the football team and has every right to do whatever he wants, but the idea that Matt LaFleur would even approach that that thought process like Aaron's worried about himself or Aaron's thinking like his you know, production is down or the reason – like what there's only one reason Aaron Rodgers would want something done a certain way. And it's because he is saying – he already knows he's he, – Aaron Rodgers, I think we can all tell by – Anytime he opens his mouth, like he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he thinks he's the best in the business. He's not lacking in confidence. So right. if he's telling you we need to do something, he's not saying it for his own benefit. He's saying it because your offense isn't working the way you're running it and we need to fix it. That is uh, extremely well said. And uh, I think certainly noteworthy for hopefully anyone listening as well. I know I took a lot away from that, but Man, it's going to be really interesting to see where things go from here and if this starts to improve or if things start to get worse and then how those tensions kind of, you know, could play off of each other as well, because there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. And I just think that this could get very interesting one way or the other, either in a very good way with overcoming adversity and finding a way for this football team to be successful, which becomes a great story or hopefully not, but maybe the other direction. You mentioned earlier, uh, I don't know, do you want to go offensive line or you want to go defense? I'll let you choose. I'm ready uh, to rock. Let's go offensive line first. They reshuffled the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of in general, we, we talked about Zach Tom a little bit. I agree. They didn't ask him to do a ton. They helped him a little bit, but I thought overall first start like that, you, you couldn't ask for anything more than that. Uh, but you've got Zach Tom, which is supposed to be Bakhtiari. At, at left tackle, and then they go Elton back at left guard, Josh Myers at center, running at right guard, Yash at right tackle. What were your initial impressions of that makeup of the offensive line? Uh, it's still a work in progress. I think the unfortunate thing that you saw this week was that they were beat on a couple plays, particularly in the run game early on, right? We got El- EJ got, um, you got beat on a poor second step. You got beat across his face by, by Jonathan Allen. So we, we, you lose six in the backfield. We had uh, some miscommunication on the right side. They got penetration, got beat in the backfield again. And what happens is right now, as opposed to like the team we're about to play, that literally can run anything. They're just like, everything works, man. Like we can run anything, right? And we used to be that way. And we're, we went from, we could run anything. Anything's going to work. Aaron Aaron and Devontae will make it work. Aaron Jones will make it work too. Now we have, you know, that play sheet gets really freaking small really fast. And all of a sudden, nothing works, right? So it's like, oh, we can't run play side, left side, because EJ's getting, you know, he's crossing over. He just got beat for a six-yard loss. Like, well, all those those 16 plays are out. And so what happens is you start, like, you go away from all this stuff, and you turn around at the end of the game, and you're arguably your best offensive player has, like, what, eight carries, 12 touches total or something like that, like some ridiculous number. Um, from an offensive line, look, Josh is going to be a competent pass protector. He's not very good in the run game. I don't think anybody, you know, 
misrepresented him as like this powerhouse run blocker, but he does a good job in pass protection. You're going to have to cover some of his run game stuff up by putting Mercedes Lewis next to him, running fullbacks at him or, or tight ends across the, across the backside of the ball, putting him in double teams on the backside B blocks with, with JRJ. I think JRJ did a great job of transitioning over. I think that's really tough. Myers played pretty well, to be honest with you. And there's just, you know, there's a couple of mistakes here and there. I think, you know, this is one of those things that really sucks, Andy. And I've been in this position where, you you come off an injury. Oh, I haven't been in this position, but going back and forth across the center. Right. So you think Elgin Jenkins, he starts, he blows his ACL. He's a Pro Bowl guard. Really good. Whether or not he was one of the best guys in the league, I don't know. He was a good player. Yep. Right. Blows his knee out. And then he comes back and they're like, hey, by the way, you're not only going to move across the ball to the right side, but you're going to play tackle now. Surprise, surprise. Oh, you've never played there before. Tough. Like, that's what we're doing. So then you go out there and, you, and he struggled. Like, you know, we, let's not sugarcoat it. He didn't yep. play very well. But that's what happens when you come off an ACL, go across the ball, and start a new position. Like, it's really hard to do. All three of those things are hard, and you had him do all three at once. Now they put him back at left guard against probably the second-best defensive tackle in the league. And his first game that. back, he, he, he didn't play very well. And you're just kind of like, you literally just did the same thing. You took away the ACL, but you moved it back across the ball and you put him back at guard against one of the best players in the league. And it's like, it's really, I just feel bad for the guy, you know, and yeah. he's a tough kid and he's got like at the end of this in 10 years from now, everybody will forget about this. He'll be probably in the Packers hall of fame, but like right now in this moment, it's tough to see because he just makes a little, he makes some mistakes. He gets beat inside for a pressure that throws off, you know, a pass that could have been completed downfield. All these things kind of happen. You're like, that's not who he really is. But it's 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 really really hard to be a specialist, and then all of a sudden have to be a you know a, a specialist over here and a specialist over here. You're not even a generalist, right? Because it wasn't like he was our swing guy. He's like your right tackle now. Oh, by the way, now you're left. That's really hard, man. Especially coming off an injury. Reminds me of like a, a you know when you play the drunk baseball where you got to like chug a beer and then spin around the baseball bat. Like the yeah. dude's been in the blender right now. Move yeah. to this side, you know play you know come off an ACL injury go against Jonathan Allen like yeah I I didn't even think of you know the fact that now going back to his natural position sounds great but now you've got Jonathan Allen across from you as well which is no cakewalk and even if you get Deron Payne well that's not a whole heck of a lot easier either so man yeah I I feel for him I I do I do hope they just keep this now we're like keep him at left guard like don't be done with it and John Running Jr. I thought looked competent enough moving to the right side that like just keep that Myers at center and then Bakhtiari at left tackle. Hopefully he comes back sooner rather than later. That's going to be an ongoing issue probably. But uh, And then just keep Yash, I think, at the right side too. I wouldn't mess with this too much anymore unless, you know, five weeks from now you're sitting at the same thing and everything's still brutal. Maybe you have to take a look at it. But um, I like this configuration. I just think it's going to take time for players to get in their positions and get the communications down. But overall, I was, even though I didn't think it went great, and like you said, it's a work in progress, I was overly um, optimistic coming out of that game. Yeah, and, and the thing that's interesting, like when I look at because of its offensive line play, the last three games you you have different problems up front. So you go back to the Giants game; they have guys that really aren't gap penetrators, but they're like Dexter Lawrence is a is a huge earth mover. Okay, so he he's a guy that's just you're going to have a hard time moving, getting you know getting up to second level. You go play against the Jets, you have you have guys that just penetrate really, really well. Their first step is in the backfield, and those guys are going to be very difficult for our team to block given our, the competency at those positions and inside in particular. Now you go back to this game, and they have 
first round picks across the board. They're really good, but they're not necessarily penetrators. They're guys that'll read, that'll slip blocks and do a great arm over step insides. But if you run play action pass, if you do a couple of, if you run some doubles, like you can kind of keep them at bay and pass pro. They're not as um, they're not as, as effective as like the New York jets team might be. Now you're going to go play the bills and they've got Ed Oliver and they've got, um, uh, uh, what's this, uh, 97 Rizzo, from, uh, from Miami. One of my yeah. Rousseau. But yeah, well, they have Greg Rousseau and they have Vaughn Miller on the outside, but I'm talking about on the inside. They've got, they've got cats on the inside that are, that are not afraid to bull rush and, and are not afraid to in, in passing situations. I'm talking about Jordan Phillips who had a great first game. He's kind of been quiet down, but he still presses the pocket. And so these guys can really penetrate Ed Oliver in particular, kid out of Houston for a couple of years ago. He can really penetrate. Like this will be another one of those games where are we able to keep those guys off of Aaron's feet? Yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup for this Packers offensive line. Doesn't get easier this week against the Buffalo Bills. Want to end on a, a positive as much as we can. You did mention Quay Walker earlier. It seemed like there was a concerted effort from this Packers coaching staff to let him play faster, not think as much, use his athleticism, kind of attack the football. They blitzed him a few times with some success. I thought this was a, there were a couple hiccups, no question about it, but I thought this was a really nice game from Quay Walker and hopefully something he can build on moving forward. Well, a couple of weeks ago, they started they started trying to move him and, and they tried to run some linebacker pressures with him. And it just it was one of those games where he had a couple mental errors. He fired when he wasn't supposed to fire. He didn't pick up the back on the way out. And they had some, they got some big plays on him. And so this is the game where he got he was getting closer to getting home. And I think when you're playing a young guy and we've already talked about it on the show before, Andy, like he's got incredible athleticism. I think on the pick six, you, you see the way he can move. Right. It yeah. just it just kind of pops it's off tough. the screen the way he's running down. And I'm, I'm talking about Devondre's pick six, but the way that the way that he's running he with went up and, yep. and it's it just kind of yeah, it just kind of shows your his athleticism. And so what you do as I think as a as a coordinator or a position coach, you go, okay, let's put this kid in a position to get as much experience as he can and then play without, you know, play with giving him a very, very direct assignment. How do you give somebody a direct assignment assignment at the linebacker position? Well, you either lock them up in man coverage. Or you send him on, you send him on a dog, right? Because he, I, you have to fill the B gap. You have to go, you know, under the three technique. You have to go to the C gap. You have to rush the running back. You just try to get him to use his athleticism because it's not like you're hiding him. You're developing him. You're just doing it in a way that he doesn't have to use his like football IQ as much every single play. And so you can go out there, like you said, and play fast and and, and have the opportunity to make some plays and build that confidence. So you like to see that. Obviously, you know, as of everything. You know, uh, the uh, the Nostradamus Packer guys of the world have been saying that for a while now, but it's good to see that they're starting to move on. I totally agreed and totally fair. Uh, last but not least, what are you looking for in Bill's Packers this weekend? If Green Bay were to pull off, pull off the, the win, what do they need to do? The Bills are really, really good. I think the Bills are first in offense, like second in defense. Um, Coming listen, off a bye week at home. Right. The, the pass rush is a huge concern. Greg Rousseau and Von Miller are both playing really well. Um, those inside guys, like we talked about, the field the field has to expand for the Green Bay Packers. Like we can't, the horizontal passing game isn't going to play. And we we highlighted it on our show yesterday with a couple of clips. You know, there's a lot. There's there's plays to be made. There are plays that are available in, in the passing game. There's under center play action pass. Um, there's there's 
there's motion concepts that soften up their defense and allow for a lot of like, you know, deep sail routes and deep ends and whatnot, you know, trips bunch concepts against their defense seem to work well because it's soft. It, again, it softens everything up. The hard part is with this game, there's just like, if you look at their explosive runs, they've given up on defense. Like there's like 10 of them, 13 of them. They just, they, they're, they're like three and a half yards against, you know, per game or per play against the run. They're, they're just extremely well coached. They play hard. Their linebackers are, are awesome. Flat out. Awesome players, both from Tremaine Edwards and Matt Lano are really, really good. And offensively, Josh Allen, man, like, he is the 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 Bills are essentially what the Packers used to be. The you Bills literally are, took the word out team of my right mind. now that they're like every play, every t- yeah every play is a touchdown. Worst case scenario, we throw it down, we we check it down for five yards. That's the worst thing that's going to happen in this play. And if and if we throw a pick, if we you know like he can make every play, so every window is open. You know, so they can literally do it whatever they want. And I know the same things with Aaron Rodgers, but like. They, they're running those plays and he's making those throws right now. And if he gives up a sack, if he has a pick, you know, it's like they don't even care. I mean, it, because they just go, yeah, the next play will score a touchdown. Who cares? You know, they just have that kind of confidence right now. They're just, they're rolling. And I do not know. It's an 11 point spread, right? Yep. To be, it is a tough game. Yeah, I, this remind this Bills team reminded me a little bit of when, and like I said, you kind of took the words out of my mouth earlier of, of when the the Packers with with Favre were really starting to hit on all cylinders. And you know, Reggie White, Devon Miller, you've got a bunch of young talent. They've got veteran talent. They can run the football. They can stop the run. They can pass the ball. They can stop the pass. And um, it just feels like this is their 1996 Packers team where they've got everything that they need. They can finally get over the hump. I think they're better than Kansas City, uh, where the Packers kind of needed to get over the the Cowboys and the 49ers with Aikman and Young uh, back at that time. It just feels like now is their time. And it's a really fun team to watch. I'm glad that, you know, sometimes you've got really good football teams that are either boring to watch or like they're a good football team, well coached. They're doing everything the right way. They've got an extremely talented quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm super happy for them. Stefan Diggs, I'm so happy he isn't a Viking anymore so I can cheer for him because he is one of the, uh, my favorite just overall players, route runners. Yeah, good, just, just a really fantastic football team. Uh, Mike, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff as always. I love this every single week. Where can we follow you on Twitter and where can we, where can we find your podcast? Yeah, check out uh, the On My Block podcast, anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, you know, every, every bing, bang, bang, bang. Uh, Mike Wall 68 on Twitter, W-A-H-L-E 68 on Twitter, and then Process to Perform on Instagram. Andy, thanks as always for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Make sure to check out Mike on Twitter at MikeWall68. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That does it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. happening daily. 
We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 